It's time for Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Now, here's Bart Scott and Dan Grossa. And welcome into another edition of Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grossa alongside Bart Scott once again. Not our normal studios, the virtual edition of the program. Bart, what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm good. I'm just stuck in this box. Stuck in the box like we all are. But you know what? We're trying to get out a little bit. But hey, safety comes first, as they say. Thanksgiving good? Time with the family? All was well? Everything was good, man. Everything was good. And anytime you can spend time with the family, enjoy the kids, and kind of sit back and watch football, you know, it's mm. all good. So can't complain at all. Unfortunately for me, it's been a tradition of mine is being forced to watch the Lions um, ever since I was a kid. And they always let me down. But, you know, when I get my dessert, I forget about it. Well, a lot of people, unfortunately, get stuck with the Lions on Thursday. And, you know, we'll get to that a little bit later on in the program here. But as far as the Jets are concerned, another tough day at the office yesterday against the Miami Dolphins. They fall 20-3. to And I guess the most disappointing thing as far as the game itself, apart from the outcome, was, you know, last couple of weeks, you really saw this offense take some strides. They were productive. They were moving the ball up and down the field, putting the ball in the end zone. Now you have Sam Darnold making his return from the shoulder injury. You got the three starting wide receivers. They were finally together for the first time, but yet they had their struggles and still could only put a field goal on the board. So I think when you add it all together, probably left a lot to be desired there, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, you want to be able to be effective in the red zone and also be effective on third down. And those are two areas in which they struggled in. You know, a bright spot was the fact that Frank Gore showed a tremendous burst and he averaged over 4.1 yards of carry. So that means that you were getting in favorable down and distances. Unfortunately, you just weren't able to cash in. It's really what you're you're measured about. You know, moving the ball up and down the field is one thing, but not being able to score in situational times, like, you know, before the half, coming up empty there. Those are things that, that leave you, you know, more to be desired. And you are, you are expecting more um, because you were expecting that Sam Darnold will come back and kind of take that same momentum that, you know, the receivers were on. Chris Herndon didn't show up again. You know, you, you wanted to see him be a bigger That was player. surprising, wasn't it? I mean, when you yeah. think about you know, we, we, we had him on the show last week. Yeah. He had the touchdown against the Chargers. He had a couple of catches, and he thought, okay, so I was talking about it on the pregame show yesterday. Six games left in the season. This could almost be not just an – not really I wouldn't call it an audition for him, but a chance to salvage what has been kind of a lost season. Like if he goes on a nice six-game stretch – I mean, think about what Brashad Perryman did last year, the final five weeks when he was a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – Chris Herndon could do that as well here down the stretch, and there's still time. But certainly yesterday, I was expecting maybe a little bit more from him production-wise. Well, yeah, but also I would like to see some more things drawn up for him. You talk about their struggles. No targets. Yeah, you talk about him being, you know, in the red zone. I would like to see him, you know, involved more in the red zone as well because that's traditionally where tight ends really make their pay dirt. You know, uh, I was excited that Mims were able to continue because you knew he had tough sledding going against Jones and, and, and Howard, you know, two outstanding corners. And the fact that he was still able to be productive. Now, I know he had the offensive pass in the French, but that was him, you know, pretty much playing defense. You know, uh, you would like to see him and maybe Sam on a, on a different page where if a, if a defender decides to, to stay on top and not give up the deep ball, that you throw that back shoulder where he can pin the defender on his back and be able to have a huge game that way. But he didn't come up small. And that's what you want to see. You want to see the young guys not come up small. And even though Bryce Hall – Struggled, and you look at Devontae Parker. He he went for like a hundred over, well over hundred right. yards receiving. Bryce Hall was right there, scrapping and, and and learning, you know, how to go against a big physical 
vertically um, opposing um, opponent like that. And he still came up and he competed. And that's what you want to see. I mean, you can give the defense a great grade, the fact that they were able to hold that offense down because that offense had been explosive. And with Fitz Magic or Fitz Tragic, whichever one he was yesterday, he was kind of in the middle. He didn't play great, but he didn't play bad. But I think he didn't play great because the Jets were able to take advantage of some things that he did and didn't do well. And whenever he decided that they were in cover one and he decided to take off, we saw linemen learn from their mistakes from the first game and they retraced and they were able to get him on the ground. So he didn't hurt him with the 15-yard runs or the 10-yard runs extending drives. They were able to kind of contain him a little bit. So to me, that's something that can be, you know, commended that they did do well. You know, Gasicki didn't get off, even though he had the touchdown. Mm-hmm. You would like to see them um, maybe – I saw before on that play – Davis was on him, and then they decided to switch with the linebacker. You have to understand, I like to see them be more aware of where the matchups are going to be and what the opposing quarterback sees. Because as a safety and a secondary defender, you should understand where the ball is going to be dictated based on the pre-snap matchups. And they failed to do that, but that's part of a learning um, you exactly. Know, and, well. and, and, and as you said, you have those rookies, you know, who are back there, whether it's Bryce Hall, whether it's Davis, even a Lamar Jackson, you know, these guys are playing major snaps, almost full time snaps out there. So there is going to be some of that adjustment and learning curve. I'll tell you a guy, though, that continues to show up week in and week out and the film doesn't lie. And you know which way I'm going. The guy made tre- making tremendous strides here in year number two and living up to the billing of being the third overall pick in the draft, and that's Quinnen Williams because at times, Bart, let's face it, you watch the game, Quinnen Williams is almost unblockable. It doesn't matter if they put one or two offensive linemen on him. The guy is making plays in the opposing backfield, and that's what the Jets hoped when they drafted him. Yeah, eight tackles, a sack, a forced fumble. I mean, what more can the man do? I mean, you th- that's productivity that you expect. To this get. is every week. I mean, this yeah. is every week. It's not once every four or five. It's every single week he's showing up. And when you, when you think about it, right, what the difference between year one and year two is just him understanding what it's like to be a pro. You know, you look at him, he's in better shape now, and it seems like before the snap he has a plan. He has a greater understanding of his fronts that they're in, whether it's under front or over front or bare front. He understands where he can take advantages and where the blocking schemes are going to come for. And that's what you hope when you think about this young team, that they're able to get that type of experience. Continuously continuing to show up, too, is Fadakasi. He continues to show up. He continues to be well. Yep. Um, we just waiting for him to learn how to convert from run, run, run uh, stuffer to being able to convert when he sees play action pass. And he did a better job of that. So this is what it's all about, you know, because at some point, you know, help is on the way, right? Joe Douglas and his Jets team has a lot of draft picks. They have a lot of cash so that they can have some versatility to go out and put some better players and some more, I won't say better players, but more impactful players, some guys that, you know, can give you more productivity alongside uh, Becton, alongside, you know, Quentin Williams, where now, because at some point if Quentin Williams keeps playing as well, they're going to start double teaming him and forcing somebody else to get the productivity. And when they do that, you you will hope that it would be somebody on the outside to say, okay, if you want to, you know, double him, then now you got to deal with me one on one. And that's what the, that's what I believe Jet fans are looking forward to. What the long term plan is, we understand that it's not the season in which we expected it to be, but we know that you know it's a lot of bright spots. And this draft class is a great bright spot knowing that next year that if you just duplicate some of this productivity from a draft perspective, that you're adding potentially 10 solid players that are only going to continue to get better. And because you have two first-round draft picks, you hope that it's two Makai Beckton's where people are saying, hey, vote for him for the Pro Bowl year one. Or who knows where where Mims would be 
if he had been playing the entire year and came into the season healthy? Will he be looked at like uh, Claypool? Will he be looked at like Jefferson? As far as like, man, this is a tremendous class for receivers. You know, he's. I think he's making a name for himself. And before it's all said and done with five games left, if he's able to maybe grab maybe 400 yards and end up with 500, 600 yards, then I think that'll be an accomplishment for him in itself, the fact that teams are are trying to, to stop him and he's going against great corners. I mean, he's going to go against Jalen Ramsey before this is all said and done. He's yep. going to go against Sergio Griffin before it's all said and done. So he's going to be battle-tested. He's going to go against different types of corners. and He's going to be getting the education on the job while he's been successful. And that's a great thing. And don't forget Stefan Gilmore in all likelihood in that final game against the Patriots up there in Foxborough, too. Inside the Jets, supported by BetMGM. Place your football parlays, props, and futures bets at BetMGM Sports all season long. I want to ask you a question because yesterday in the postgame show, I, I brought it up with Buttle, who, you know, is a defensive player, a linebacker, just like yourself. And when you look back at a game like yesterday's where the offense is having problems sustaining drives, like I think they only converted three third downs yesterday. You know, they only had 10 first downs for the entire game. The defense played very, very well, but there's only so much they can do if they're constantly asked to kind of answer the call if they're not getting help from the other side of the ball. As a defensive player, when you're in a game like that, you know, what is the mentality? What is that feeling like where you say, oh, it's up to us again, or you just have that little margin for error because you realize, you know, the other side of the ball is struggling? What is that feeling like? I mean, we've always had that mentality. We was like, hey, listen, whatever we get from the offense is a bonus. We're going to play complimentary football, but we put it on ourselves because if they don't score, they don't win. And that's how we always approach it, every defense I was a part of. And then when we were getting turnovers, we started practicing how to get the ball into the end zone. So we started understanding, okay, if somebody gets an interception, you block the intended receiver because he's the guy close enough to make the tackle. Everybody else turned up. If you see a fat boy, you leave him for the you leave him for the person with the ball, unless he's a fat boy itself. But you know, you go you go attack the guys who are capable of making uh, tackles. We get one guy in trail position in case we got to pitch the ball. And you start building a wall just like a punt team. You start clipping guys back, and if you're not seeing going 100 miles an hour when it, when it's a turnover or one of your opponent, one of your teammates have the ball in their hands, then you are fine. And we held each other accountable. In, in turn, we became one of the teams that would get defensive touchdowns because we practiced it. We believed in. It. We believed in fighting for the turnovers, and we believed in when we get the turnover. That's just part of it. The second part of it is putting it in the end zone. We don't. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to give it back to the offense. We should go score and take care of business ourselves to ensure that we get seven, do it ourselves. Not, we still believe that they can give seven, but we want to make it as easy for them as possible. So it's our responsibility as a defense to lead this team because every unit wants to lead the team. Linebackers want to be the best unit on the right. team. Cornerbacks want to be the best unit on the team. Defensive ends and, and defense linemen want to be the best unit on the team. But at the end of the day, it can only be one. And we're always competing with each other. When you have that healthy competition between each other, it just pushes you to the top, still sharp and still. And then the offense say, hey, man, we ain't going to let them have all the fun and put points on the board. We're about to go out here. We're about to try and get our own points. We're going to take care of our own business. And that's when you create that competitive environment where everybody's trying to be competitive and everybody's trying to be the best version of themselves within the goals of the team. But, you know, it's like that healthy competition that you that just becomes a byproduct of guys saying, you know what, I can do more. What more can we do as a unit, as a group, as a side of a ball, as a team? 
And, you know, there were a couple of missed opportunities in the game yesterday when you talk about turnovers, specifically in that third quarter. Still a 13-3 football game. Jets still very much in it. And the defense goes out there. And on back-to-back Miami possessions, they force turnovers, right? They force fumbles, get the football. And twice, the offense took over on Miami's side of the field, but couldn't do anything with it, right? They had a three and out the first time around, and they had to punt the football back. And then the second possession, they tried to go for it on fourth and one there, and Frank Gore got stuffed. And I don't know, you could even have made the argument, maybe kick the field goal that second time around, because at least that would have made it a one-score game. But to think about that, points off of turnovers could be so critical in swinging the trajectory of a football game. And to come up empty-handed twice, that was really backbreaking. Yeah, it is, and um, it's deflating what it is because you're excited because you got the turnover, but then when you're not able to cash it in, especially when it's in your, it's in their territory, you only got to get a couple yards to be in scoring position. And once again, like I said, one one thing that have plagued the Jets this entire year has been pressure up the A and B gaps, and they have to find something because unfortunately that's that's the narrative, right? And that's what they have to expect. After a while, you have to expect it, you know, because in this league, if you don't fix it, it's going to continue to be, you know be used by other teams. This, this week opponent is going to say, listen, when they got to have it, they want to go up the gut. Let's make sure that we blitz up the A-gap. What did you see specifically from Sam? You know, again, he, you could say that he was maybe a little bit rusty, having missed four out of the last six games, coming in there missing two of his starting offensive linemen, remember, because Alex Lewis and George Fant weren't playing. So, yeah, the receivers were there, but you're also missing two of your five guys up front. Overall, what would you make of his performance? Well, once again, with, with, with Sam, it's, it's the uh, decision-making and it's the mechanics. And, you know, you see sometimes with the mechanics, he's not really have a strong base underneath him. And you see with his decision-making, sometimes he's forcing some things or not giving up on plays. If he was watching the last previous weeks, he would see, you know, you know the master of it, right? Flacco, throw it away, run out of bounds, punting isn't a bad thing, especially when your defense is playing great. You want to be able to, you know, put the pressure on the Dolphins by, you know, making them have to feel the heat because they're the team that's supposed to win the game. So the pressure and the onus is on them because they're in a, in a playoff race. So sometimes it's not about winning the game. Sometimes it's about not losing it. And not losing it is not giving the game away by giving the other team extra possessions. But still being aggressive and making sure that it's educated aggressiveness. You know what I mean? Being a high percentage decision maker is what we always talk about. And him throwing a ball across his chest, you know, back into the field never works out well. And sometimes those are bad habits because, you know, what happens is you're successful a couple times on it, and then you go to the well a little bit one too often, they cost you points. You know, because if you would have threw it on the other side of Crowder, Crowder not only may have made the completion, but he also may have got the first down and extend the drive. That's really what it's all about, understanding the situational football, doing the little things, the football acumen, getting to the line of scrimmage. When you think that, hey, guys are blitzing, when you see a, a safety sitting at linebacker depth, it's an indication in a text message that he's probably going to blitz. So you might want to go and try and change the, the snap count and change it at the line of scrimmage and go on two. Right. Those are like the little tools in his tool belt that he's going to have to get if he wants to take it to the next level. Changing paces, get into the line of scrimmage. Not because you're going to snap it early. It's because you want to make that defense alignment stand at three-point stance forever. How about we keep going down and we're going to go on five plays straight and I'm going to get you in your three-point stance at five seconds, and I'm going to make you hold it for 30 seconds and then make you go rush the passer and then see how well you feel when we get into the fifth and sixth play of this drive. So those are the little things, understanding that you know those are the things that the great ones do. You know, Then when you do that, you change the tempo up because they get into that rhythm. Then you catch them with 12 on the field, hike the ball, get an easy play, take a shot. If, if it's incomplete, if it's intercepted, it don't count. If it's completed, it counts. So it's a win-win for you. It's only one thing that can happen. 
and that's it, or it's only a couple of things that can happen. Everything works in your favor. Illegal contact, pass interference, or completion. Interception doesn't hurt you because all sides. Just getting started here on Inside the Jets. When we come back, we're joined by a member of the offense. Standout rookie left tackle Makai Becton makes his Inside the Jets debut here. Presented by EY, building a better working world. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grasso alongside Bart Scott. It's time now for our player guest segment, presented by EY, building a better working world. And we're thrilled to be joined by Jets rookie standout left tackle, Makai Becton, who's nice enough to give us some time here on the program. Makai, it's Dan Grasso and Bart Scott here on Inside the Jets. Thanks for joining us. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I feel like you're looking up from the sky down on me, man. You trying to intimidate us by looking. Listen, we're not your opponent this week. You don't got to be giving us all that heat. Yeah, no. this is a smile, man. Gentle giant. All good. Tell me <laughs> this. How has your adjustment been to the NFL? Is it as easier than you think, thought it was, or is it as expected? Uh, I would say that's 50-50. Like, some, some is easy. Some is, like, what I expected. Uh, Sometimes it's, it's just sometimes I catch myself, like, wow, I didn't know I could do this. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, he got me right there. But yeah, I would say it's 50-50. Now, early in the season, you've gone against some great pass rushers. Some are good, but they're diff they're good at different things. What have you learned about going against certain players and who has been the total package? You know, one usually some guys are good with, you know, speed to power. Some guys are great with inside counter moves. Some guys are great with their hands. Who was the most difficult and who was better than you expected them to be? Um, I would say the difference is like everybody use their hands a lot. So it's a lot of hand placement things where you got to know where to put your hands at and where to have your hands at. So um, I would say the hands and uh, I would say Melvin Ingram is probably the one that got the full package. So he gives different, he, he presents a different problem from the traditional pass rusher because he has speed. But it was funny because I saw him going against you and he tried to bull rush you one time and I'm laughing like, bro. You got maybe two steps. You maybe can push him back one time, but after you run out of your little power burst, there's nothing you can do. But he, he, I guess he had to try it to, to, to tell himself that he could, he couldn't do it, but he believed he could. Were, were you laughing when he did that? Yeah, I was. I was kind. I was laughing when he did that, and um, he also likes to spin a lot too. And like when he finally did the spin move, I told him I was waiting on that all day. He was like, "Man, there's nothing else I can do." So I had to put that out. <laughs> Is that all you got? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Makai, you know, you talk about your hands and the importance of using those here. Certainly, if you're an offensive lineman, that's going to be critical. But in terms of technique, I remember talking to you a couple of weeks ago. Is that what you find to be the biggest adjustment from graduating from the college level to now in the NFL? It's refining your technique all the time? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's not this. It's all about technique. Like, if you don't have technique, you can't you can't block anybody. So, I mean, yeah, technique is definitely the most important thing, I would say. Now, you know, I know like before in college, because I was I was a victim of this as well, your arms and your hands are usually connected. But in the league, if you shoot your arms too quickly, you get your weight above your toes, they can get underneath your armpit or they or they'll snatch that arm or they'll do the cross chop. Have you have you started like being patient and trying to figure out that you get your arms on your target? And because of you're so tall, you can kick that back foot back so far. Are you able to be more patient? Because you don't feel like they can get back if you take your, your your jump step there, they can't close the distance because you, your first step is so far back. Uh, yeah, I would I would definitely say yeah. I learned more patience now because like uh, I know I know that I have length that like a lot of people don't have. So I know if I can shoot my and fast, 
and get my hands on them before they can get their hands on me. I know they can't get past me. So that's what I that's what I planned on doing. That's what I mostly do. So I mean that's that was my that's my main focus. And then sometimes I like to fake it out too and like like to shoot it to make them think I'm shooting it, but I'm really not. And I shoot my inside hand with it. How do you feel right now, given the fact that, you know, normally in a college season, the year is kind of winding down right now, unless you have a bowl game or whatnot, but you still got five weeks to go here in the NFL. How are you feeling physically in your first NFL season? I mean, I'm still banged up, man, but that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little banged up, man, but that, but that comes with it. I mean, I'm just playing through it at this point. Yeah, the biggest growth you have is from your first year to your second year. You can talk to Quentin Williams about that because this has probably been the longest year of your life, especially during the midst of a pandemic, going straight from a college season to basically training for, for four months without being able to take a break and have to learn your diet and stuff like that. When this season is over, and I know it's hard to think about your plans after the season, you know, while you're still in it, but how much better you think you can become and what are you trying to focus on in the off season to implement, to make sure that your second season is more dominant than your first? Um, I'm, I'm going to be working on more technique and hand placement things that I need to work on now. I mean, I feel like my hand placement can get better and my footwork. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to keep working out with Duke Mannyweather. So, uh, I'm going to I'm going right back to him right after the season. Yeah. Now, you may not know this, but I was your biggest cheerleader to get you here. Whether it was on my radio show, whether it was me talking to Joe Douglas saying, hey, you need to get this guy because everybody was talking about worth and all. And, and he's uh, got uh, connections, Makai. Trust him. Yeah. And all these guys, right? And the reason I said that, and the reason why I laughed when you said that Melvin Ingram, you laughed when he tried to bull rush you, is because I once did that against one of my teammates that you remind me a lot of. So I used to go against Jonathan Alden all the time, and he would let he would chuckle and it would tickle his little liver when I would try and bull rush him. And he would just grab me by my – every once in a while, he'll grab me by my shoulder pads and pick me up in the air and say, ha, 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 like a gentle giant. <laughs> so me and Melvin were about the same size. So I can only imagine really but – you, but you don't know. You have to try it first. But you don't realize that because you're so tall that once you anchor that back foot back there, once you plant that foot back there, it's over with. You can, you can, you can pump your legs all you want. You can th think about the times in the summertime when you were pushing the sled and how dedicated you were. It's a wrap, bro. You ain't going nowhere. And he would just punch me on my chest or or smack me on my back if I tried to get real low. He would just smack me on my back and land on top of me. I say that to say this. They don't make linemen like you anymore. And the last one that they made like you, you can maybe say Joe Thomas, but I would say it's Jason Peters. Jason Peters was the, the last, I believe, like 340, 350 pounds type of gentle, giant, dancing bear. So who do you look towards to try and mimic your game after? Because it's not any in the league like you. Maybe little baby Huey out in, in, in um, Las Vegas. But no other lineman can look you in the eyes and be your equal as far as a stature program, um, point of view. So who do you look back to in the past? Is it Willie Rolfe? Is it Walter Jones? Is it Jonathan Ogden? Is it Orlando Pace? Who do you want to be like and who do you mimic your game after? I make my game after Jonathan Ogden and uh, Orlando Pace. Those are the top two guys that I look at the most and try to build myself after. Talking with Makai Becton here on Inside the Jets, presented by Selective Insurance B.
uniquely insured. You know, when you looked at the game Sunday against the Dolphins, you know, you guys have been coming off a couple of games where the offense really did some good things. You were moving the ball up and down the field. You were putting it into the end zone. Then you had Sam back in the game yesterday, and you thought that there was a lot of optimism, of course, but unable to get into the end zone just the three points. Were you surprised that you guys weren't a little bit more successful yesterday? Yeah, I was definitely surprised. I feel like we we could move the ball on those guys wanted to, and we could do this thing that we wanted to. I was I was definitely proud for us not getting the end zone yesterday. Have you gotten yourself already? I mean, it's still your first year, but again, you're playing the Miami Dolphins. Have you already got yourself right into this whole rivalry aspect with these teams in your division, whether it's the Dolphins, the Patriots, Buffalo, the hatred, the animosity that you're supposed to have with some of these opponents? Yeah, I mean, I had that. When I got drafted, so I mean, I'm, I'm. Yesterday, you were playing with a new left guard because Alex was uh, not active for the game. Elflin started yesterday. I, you know, I, I wonder, does that change you at all in terms of what you have to do out there during the game? What is there an adjustment process playing alongside a new partner there at the left guard position? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a lot of changes with, uh, like. You know, getting to know how he's going to set, how I'm going to set, him knowing how I'm going to set, uh, communication issues, just things like that. I mean, but we definitely got through it. I feel like we played really good together yesterday. I mean, we got the communication things together, so I feel like it was really good. You know, and you guys continue to get beat with the blitz up the up the middle. And, you know, as a blitzing linebacker during my entire career, I know the thing that kills that is a full slide, you know, from, from the guard over with the, with the running back to you or to the tackle, at what point do you say, you know what, Coach, I'm tired of seeing us get beat because I can handle being on an island by myself. You know, once here we had a guy who had an island, and we put a lot on him, it was called Reva's Island. When did we have Becton Island? You say, you know what, Coach, just full turn slide from it. I got whatever comes from this left side. Don't even worry about it. I don't need no help. But that way we can't get that immediate pressure up the up our A-gaps. Just turn to protection. I got it, Coach. When do you go into the office say, listen, I know I'm a rookie, but I got this. I'm good over here. I can I can get my one on ones. Full slide that thing. We ain't got to worry about it no more. Uh, to be honest, I feel like I can do that right now. Honestly, I mean, I feel don't like go into the office, man. I'm giving you a suggestion. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm tired of saying y'all get beat with the a gap blitz, man. How you beat that is with turn protection. Because when you go through the a gap, the guard will be turning and seeing that guy coming. Now you just need Frank going to the backside to make sure that he comes. It's basically like a punt protection. And now you got the full slide. Now Sam got time to. To throw, you can have your seven, eight man protection. Now you can get them bombs over, you know, those bombs down the field. Yeah, I mean, I feel what you're saying. I feel like, I mean, I definitely. Fact, I'm about to call Joe right now. Joe, he said he's ready for the full slot. Sounds like somebody's auditioning to become a line coach here. What am I going to have a new co host next year? What's going on? He's ready for the full slot. Joe, I'm going to text you later. I bet. On that note, though, let's take a quick timeout. We'll have more with Makai Becton right after this on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grassa, Bart Scott, and we're talking with Jet rookie tackle Makai Becton. Now, Makai, you probably know this already, but you know, you're quite the internet sensation because of your prowess on the football field, of course, your pancake blocks, driving guys into the ground. You know, it's become the stuff of legend already on social media. How much do you get a kick out of seeing that stuff? I find it funny. I mean, but I just got to keep doing it so it can keep showing up. Now, I tell you what, you got some, some crazy opponents come up. Are you looking forward to maybe Aaron Donald trying to come over over there to your side and see what you got? 
Are you excited yeah. to those matchups? Because I know, like, you know, being a, you know, coming fresh from college, you got guys that you looked up to, guys that you become fans of, but now they're your opponent, and now you got to be the Grizzly Bear, and you can't be looking at them like fanboy. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for that matchup. Can't wait for the opportunity. Any predictions? <laughs> we, we won't tell nobody. No. <laughs> what, uh, what, is this, what has this year taught you, though? You know, in terms of, you know, look, on, on field, the results aren't what anybody would want, of course, you know, being 0-11 and, and, and such. But, you know, it was a couple of years back at Louisville. You guys didn't have a very good season, but yet you were able to turn it around the following year. You had yourself a good year. The team improved tremendously do you look back to times like that thinking that okay things are going to turn around here pretty soon as well uh yeah i look i look back to that situation i mean because i mean i look i look at it a different way because when i was in that situation in my sophomore year uh, i was i didn't want to play i didn't want to be around that, that that losing situation none of that but now i just i just know i got to go out there and play every week and every day so i mean it's i look at the, this, the situation totally different now than i did back then but I know this thing is I know I know it's gonna turn around for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're at the beginning of a cycle, right? So when you get into the league, you have your win your your windows to win, and then sometimes they close and they open back up. Those who are fortunate to be in a in a in a long window like the Patriots were for a long time, but everybody experiences loss. You're at the beginning of building something, and you're one of the foundational pieces. You're saying that you're a fan of Jonathan Ogden. Well, Jonathan Ogden came to the league in '96. He, him and Ray Lewis was the foundation, fundamental foundation pieces for the Ravens. They won a Super Bowl four years later. So it happens and it can turn over early. But how important is it for you to set a standard of excellence for that offensive line? Because before you know it, you're going to get a C slapped on your chest and you're going to go from being someone who follows people, you know, like maybe fat to being the leader. And they're going to come to you for answers. So how are you, one, are you ready for that responsibility? Uh, and, you know, what have you learned and what will you take from that college experience to help you become a better leader? Uh, I definitely, I know I'm ready for that challenge and ready for that opportunity. Um, I'm just going to take, you know, I, I want to be the best. I want to be the best unit. I want to always, always have the best unit, the top five unit in everything, pass, run, everything. So that's just going to be my standard in the room, always. Who are some of the guys on this team right now? You know, once you got in here in training camp and as you've worked your way through your rookie season, who are some of the guys that you've looked to in that room? You know, is it other offensive linemen that you've kind of maybe looked to follow their lead a little bit? Uh, I would say Alex Lewis and uh, George Fent. Those are the two guys I would say I look up to the most in that room. I mean, that I'm the closest with and I'm, that I'm with the most, I would say. How about this rookie season for you? I mean, look, when you're a rookie in, in, in the NFL, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be adjustments. But factor in COVID, the pandemic, when you guys didn't have a normal offseason, you know, you didn't get a chance to really meet in person with your teammates, the guys on that offensive line until you got there in August. You know, what has this whole experience been like for you just the last three, four months? I mean, it's been crazy, man, but you got to learn how to adjust at the end of the day. So, I mean, that's, that's, why, that's how I took it. I just learned how to adjust. Now, I know you're close with your family and, you know, you want them to ex experience, you know, this with you. Like, that's part of the ride, you know, because they've always been a part of your journey. And but this year you're, you're not able to really share it with them. How does that affect maybe, you know, your play, your mood, you know, the fact that you look up to the stands, you can't see your mom, you can't see your family, your loved ones because they're not allowed to be in the stadium? I mean, it, it hurts a lot. I mean, but I but I still know they watch it because I'm on TV because I still get text messages from them after every game. So that still drives me either way that I know that they still watch it. 
Now, does, does your mom go crazy when she see you leave in and out of the lineup? Like, hey, what's wrong, my baby? You okay? You get those texts out. Do before you report back, do you and you go to the back and you may come back at halftime. Do you have to respond to her and say, baby, thumbs up, say, hey, I'm okay, mom? Yeah, I gotta let her know something. Let her know I'm good or something so she can be so she can feel better. No doubt. Now we were talking a little while ago. You were able to see them, right? Because they came into town for Thanksgiving. What was that like for you guys? Man, that was great. I mean, I got to see my little brothers. Uh, I haven't seen them in a while. I, for, I forgot when the last time I seen them. But it's it been a little minute, so it was good to see them. Now, do you help at all with the cooking? I mean, I know that you, you know, you're know you a big guy. You could probably put away a good Thanksgiving meal. But how about in the kitchen? Are you good with your hands as far as that's concerned or no? Yeah, I can I can cook a little bit. I can cook a little something, something. But I didn't I ain't really help my mom this Thanksgiving. I learned to do it this week, this, this year. Now, you know, Christmas coming up, and I remember for myself, you know, one of the the best moments of my life was being able to celebrate that first Christmas when I was able to take care of my brother, you know, not my brother in your case, your brother, but for me, my sisters, my nieces and my nephews, like right now you can't go anywhere. You know, do you have an assistant that's going to Amazon, getting those, uh, you know, those items for them? And what's the high item that you got to track down so that you can be the hero of Christmas for, 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 for the young ones? Uh, I probably got to get, my middle brother, I probably got to get him a game or something. Some for his PS4. Uh, my youngest brother, I probably got to get him some some with monster trucks. <laughs> nice. You um, mean so? Wait a sec. So so they're not asking you for the PS5 because like nobody could get their hands on PS4. one to begin with. So they they're not even bothering you for that. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get my hands on one. So I- <laughs> Hey, well, I, might, I, I might know some people. That Makai, like, right? This is the guy. I mean, he talked to Bart. You know, he knows people who know people. If you need a PS5, he's probably the guy that's going to be able to get one. I need two. Oh, you need two? Yeah. So you're more you're I, more I, PS. I mean, right. Now. Yeah, right at the, Santa Santa Scott, write it down there. So you're more PS than than Xbox? That's your thing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm more of a PS5 guy. How I, often do you play games? How, how big of a gamer are you? I'm a real big gamer. Uh, I just got a. I just actually just got me a PC, a gaming PC, actually. Ah, Optimus. Okay, so I so I host I host um, EA Sports tournaments sometimes for for EA Sports, man. I listen. I uh, let me let me see how you played it. All right, yeah. I tell you what, you get me you get me five pancakes and you 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 get the real to me. I I'll, I'll find that PS5 for you. Now, what is this that I saw you have? Did you start up a new website with merchandise and stuff like that? I mean, here you are. You're not even in your full rookie season, and now you're branching out doing these other things on the business side. What is that about? Yeah, I got I got a little merchandise thing going on right now. Uh, I'm still in my first sale. I'll probably drop some new merch soon. What about uh, any Cyber Monday deals or anything like that if people want to go out there and check it out? Uh, I'm working on that. I'm working on <laughs> Well, e-commerce is definitely the way to go, right? You know what I mean? So get it out there, man. I'll retweet it. We'll get it out there, man. Is it Etsy? Is it Wix? What is? What are you working on? Is you it, said what? Is it Wix? Is it Etsy? Uh, you know, the different uh, e-commerce sites. So we can put it out there, man. Because listen, the world's going to see it because all the Jet fans are going to watch this. I'm trying to sell you out. Where can they it's get it? On my Twitter. It's on my Twitter. I posted it on my Twitter. Okay. It's on your Twitter. Okay. Do you like to interact with the fans? I mean, I see you sometimes on there. I mean, how, how often do you spend on social media? Uh, I, I interact every now and then. I wanted to, I wanted to wait to do it till I start playing better than what I'm playing now. So, I interact every now and then. Not as much though. 
You know, I'll tell you, earlier in the season, you know, a couple of times during the season when, you know, you had to leave games when you were banged up, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that one, uh, what was it, the Monday night game when you were having the, the problems breathing, you were coming off a cold. You know, there were a lot of Jet fans that were freaking out a little bit because of how important you are to this football team and, you know, to not have you on the field. Do you get that sense? Like, And I, I mean, you want to be out there each and every week. We know that. But do you get that sense that they realize just how important you are to this team and what it means when you're not playing? Yeah, I definitely get that sense. I definitely get that sense a lot. I really do. Now, did now I don't know if you realize this, but you know, I was I was thumping for you right now. I'm a big fan, but I don't know if it's any bigger fan right now in the world outside of your mom and your loved ones than Brian Baldinger. Have <laughs> you reached out to this dude? Could you send this dude a T-shirt or autograph something? Because I mean, he started the whole Route 77, all that stuff. Have he reached out? Has he got to you? No, nah, we we talked at the uh at at Olan, at the Olan Mastermind uh, seminar with, uh, at Dukes, so that's that's the first time we actually talked. And then ever since then, he told me he liked my game, and he's been showing it. Yeah, man, he, he might he might get a tattoo. Oh I yeah, know, I know Rex famously put a Sanchez jersey tattoo on him. I don't know, he might get the whole Makai Beckton, you know, arm sleeve man going over that. Hey. I haven't seen a man cross like that in a long time. Film don't lie. The film don't lie. I mean, it's obvious, right? Now another game too. You, you got some basketball in your background. We saw the clips of you in your high school days going out there and running the floor and attacking the paint. Are you the guy to beat right now in that locker room? Like, is there anybody on your team? Like, I remember talking to a couple of guys who play ball, like George Fant played basketball in college at Western Kentucky. You think you could take all these guys, your teammates, if you had to go one-on-one -on -one here? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like I'm the best basketball player on the team as well. So I mean, <laughs> like, oh, you're selling a lot of tickets, baby. You selling. That's what I'm saying. Is there a lot of tri now? You guys probably haven't had a chance to play all that much, just with you know protocols and whatnot. But so, is there basketball trash talking going on and all with you guys in the locker room? Yeah, me and George, we always going back and forth about basketball. We always going back and forth. So that's 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 just our little thing we always do. Me and I'm always talking about basketball every day. Well, who was your Who was your favorite basketball player growing up? Shaq. Shaq. I see. I was going to say, right? I was going to say LeBron, though, only because, like, you're a younger guy. So, like, basically, like, LeBron's been an active player for the majority of, like, your whole life. See, most guys your age, they're all LeBron guys. But I respect that. I respect the Shaq. Yeah, Shaq. So, so, so tell me this. What, what, is, what does success look like for you for the rest of this season? Personally. Uh, coming out this thing healthy, I would say. And then hopefully win the Pro Bowl, make the Pro Bowl. That, that's what I would say success for me. No doubt. Well, he's leading. You're leading the vote right now at the at the left tackle position in the AFC. So that's a good start. See that the film doesn't lie. The game doesn't lie. Even though the team might not be doing as well as everybody would like, Makai, you're putting that performance out there on tape and the fans across the country are taking notice of that. So continued success. Keep doing what you're doing. Certainly have a strong finish to this season. And we look forward to talking to you again real soon, man. Thanks for spending some time with us here on Inside the Jets. Thanks for having me. All right, Brody. Talk to you later. More to come here on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. Dan Grasso alongside Bart Scott. And remember, Jets fans, you can watch Inside the Jets through the Jets app, presented by BetMGM. Go to the App Store or Google Play right now and search official New York Jets. Bart, I know you got something too, right? I absolutely do. What I need, I need you guys to help MetLife celebrate the incredible workforce of the tri-state area. Submit your idea for the two-story high mural being installed at MetLife Stadium. Go to nyjets.com slash MetLife to submit your design ideas today. 
Week 12 in the NFL, well, still going on because we got a Monday game, we got a Tuesday game, and look, this has probably been maybe one of the craziest weeks in the NFL this season with a lot of stuff going on naturally, but how about what went on with the Denver Broncos yesterday, right? All four of their quarterbacks were ruled ineligible for the game because of COVID issues, so they had to go start a guy at quarterback who was a practice squad wide receiver in Kendall Watson, but he played quarterback for three years at Wake Forest. Needless to say, the game was ugly. They got trounced by the Saints. But remember earlier in the season, there was this thought brought up about if a team should maybe keep a quarterback quarantine given the event, one of these things should transpire. Denver kind of paid the price, didn't they? Yeah, and I think that the NFL and the league tried to make an example out of them. And we saw why that player uh, was playing receiver in the league, not a quarterback. Fair. They had more interceptions than they did completions. But it's like one of those things um, where you everybody has to do their part. And listen, some things are out of your control, but when you're negligent, you know it's tough for you to expect the NFL to to not hold you accountable because they have to understand that you know it's no bubble city for the playoffs. It's no buddy bu- bubble city. Everybody's going to have to be able to kind of you know take responsibility upon themselves and be a good teammate. Because could you imagine if you're going into the playoffs and oh. one of the star players? like Ben Roethlisberger or Patrick Mahomes can contract COVID and it's because a teammate was, was, was reckless and exposed them to it. And, you know, to, to answer your other question about quarantining, I don't know if they've uh, released Josh, Josh McCall down in Houston because he was quarantined forever. I know he was quarantining for the, uh, for the Eagles, but it's funny. I think they were paying him like $12,000 a week. It's funny because the Eagles are on the brink as we see the Giants take sole possession of first place. That, that, that's the interesting thing because that division is going to come down to the wire and it doesn't matter. You don't have to be good. You just have to be better than the people in your division. So no matter what, they're going to, that division is going to host a playoff game and some teams going to have to travel across the country or travel all the way up to, to, to the East coast to, or, or, or I guess down south right. to, to, to face an opponent, which is not deserving of hosting a game. Well, think about this, right? Now, now, granted, in a normal season, you know, when there's fans and you have that home field advantage and everything, you want to play home games if you make the playoffs, right? But you look at the NFC. Look, we know that the NFC East champion is going to be the four seed because they're going to be the worst division winner. If I'm the NFC, if I'm in the NFC West, like if I'm Seattle, for example, who right now is that second place team, wouldn't it almost behoove you? to not win the division. You know what I'm saying? Because if you're the five seed, for example, you're going to be playing the NFC East champion. Yes, it's going to be on the road, but that's the matchup you want as opposed to, let's say if you win the division, like right now the Rams would have to play probably Arizona in the first round. That's a way more difficult matchup than, let's say, going up against either the Giants or Washington potentially. Well, a guy around here once said, hello, you play to win the game. True. Let's see how smart they are. Let's see if they decide to do that because the last time somebody did that to, to us, it was the Cincinnati Bengals mm-hmm. who, who didn't lose on purpose, but they didn't play all their players because they wanted the matchup. They liked the matchup. And then they when they played, when they counted for real, and they thought that they were going to get an easy out. They ended up getting beat down in their own house and losing as well. So it's like one of those things. Um, you hope that you can get the victory, but it would be a smart play if you could play that division and be able to play, you know, the, the winner of the NFC East. It's going to be interesting, though, because there's no clear dominant team. It's some good teams, some that we think are better than others, but I wouldn't be surprised if any one of these teams that makes a tournament loses 
and, and, and you know, lose oh, the first seat. There, there's going to be so much unpredictability, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, as I said, there's not really going to be much home field advantage come playoff time because you're not going to have fans, and it's, all right, you're just going to go play in an empty stadium. Now, granted, nobody wants to go. Some people aren't going to have fans. If you're Kansas City, you have fans. Some, exactly. But You're going to have some, yeah. I mean, nobody wants to go play in, you know, 15-degree temperatures, for example, and that could happen in Kansas City, could happen in a place like Green Bay. Like right now in the AFC, for example – all four first place teams are all outdoor cold weather teams. Right. So, I mean, that's going to have to be something you deal with as far as the elements once you get to January. Tonight, though, is your last chance to shop the JetShop.com Cyber Monday Savings. Whether you're shopping for yourself, a loved one, or your favorite diehard Jets fan this holiday season, make sure to visit JetShop.com for the hottest deals around. Check out our Cyber Monday specials and up to 65% off your JetShop purchase, including jerseys, sweatshirts, headwear, memorabilia, and more. So Bart, some good stuff there to kick off your holiday shopping from the Jet Shop. Can't beat it, right? You can't, man. Can't beat it with a bat. Can't beat it with a bat. So we got a Monday night game with the Eagles and the Seahawks, which could be potentially a postseason preview there. And then as of right now, we're talking about a Tuesday game between Pittsburgh and Baltimore, which was supposed to be on Thursday. Then it was supposed to be on Sunday. Now it's on Tuesday. And you know what? We don't even know if they're even going to play it on Tuesday, given everything that's going on, but just a crazy set of circumstances. And you played in plenty of those Pittsburgh-Baltimore games. You hate to have it almost be played under these kind of conditions, though. Yeah, you you hate that. But if you look on the other side, it's starting to be spread on the other side as well. That's why the same thing make you laugh, make you cry. Early on in the process, a lot of the Steelers were complaining about their game being moved, but now we find out that Connor has it to it. Mm-hmm. That they have that they have a bit of an outbreak as well. And listen, it's nobody's fault, but you have to be understanding that you know this is where we are in the league, and you can't come to these quick, rash like statements that you make because it could be you the next week. And it, if it if it isn't you, you should feel blessed. You know, the Steelers are able to get a much needed buy. They missed their buy. You know, it was taken away from them because of COVID, because of Tennessee. But now they got a, a, a buy all together. So I think all the onus is on the Ravens because they're the ones that's going to have to play without being able to practice. And the league is going to try and push and fight to get this game over with. And listen, the Ravens have the inside track because once they, if they lose to them, they have the easy schedule remaining. So they can still end up 5-11-5. and you know, 11 and five. So if they got to throw RG3 out there, so be it. Bart, that's all the time we have. We'll be back with you next week. Jets welcoming in the Las Vegas Raiders for the first time to MetLife Stadium. Should be fun. Bart, be good. He's Bart Scott. I'm Dan Grassa. This has been Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. So long, everybody.